Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares talks about the return of Christ. There's so much in the scripture about the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that I just wonder if all of that ink that was spilled on this doctrine is something that is reflected in our thinking, in our minds, and in our ministries. Right? The return of Christ should be something that should be palpable in the lives of Christians. And I'm gonna tell you, it uh, should make a radical difference in how we live. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm Dave Drewy. Glad you could join us. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is coming back, but many Christians don't often think about this reality since we don't know when he will come. But today, Pastor Mike Favarez explains why we need to contemplate the second coming and how this future event should change your life. Pastor Mike gave this message to a gathering of Christian communicators at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention earlier this year. So let's listen to a message titled, He'll Be Back. Death and taxes. According to Ben Franklin, those are the two things that uh, you and I are supposed to always believe are going to be certain in life. But um, I'm here tonight to tell you that Benny was wrong. And uh, I can say that on scriptural authority. Matthew chapter 17 tells us that the sons of the kingdom will one day not pay any taxes. That's good news, isn't it? And when it comes to death, you'd say, well, Pastor Mike, of course, uh, everyone's going to die. As George Bernard Shaw said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. But um, the reality is that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, makes it very clear that, uh, as Paul said, I'm telling you a mystery. Not all of us will die. Everything's going to be changed. I mean, the life as we know it is going to be different, but uh, not everyone is going to die. You might picture the reality of your demise, but uh, that may not happen. It may not happen because the Bible says very clearly there's something that may happen to you and is to be expected in every generation of Christ followers. Uh, it takes up a lot of space in Scripture. It's called the second coming of Christ. It's called the arrival of the king. It's called the revealing of the son of man. It's called uh, the parousia in theological classes. It's, uh, it's called the coming of Jesus, and Jesus talked about it all the time. As a matter of fact, of all the discussions about the arrival of Christ, eight to one are about the second arrival of Christ and not the first arrival of Christ. Jesus talked about it 20 times in the Gospels and in 300 passages of the New Testament. It's telling us that we ought to expect the return of Christ. There's so much in the scripture about the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that I just wonder if all of that ink that was spilled on this doctrine is something that is reflected in our thinking, in our minds, and in our ministries. Right? The return of Christ should be something that should be palpable in the lives of Christians. And I'm going to tell you, it um, should make a radical difference in how we live. If Jesus talked about it so much, he told several parables about the return of his coming, uh, we should say, well, then that, that I think is certain. It should move from the creeds of our minds to the reality of our expectations. Um, 
think for a moment about what Jesus said. You might remember in John 14, he says, if I go away, I may come again and uh, receive you. And is that how it goes? No, I, I will come again. He says, uh, the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. The angelic proclaimers of Christ said, when you see him go here from the Mount of Olives, you're gonna see him return in just the same way. Zechariah 14 says he's gonna come and touch his feet again on the Mount of Olives. The book of Revelation says he's coming again and every eye will see him. Uh, the end of the book, the last chapter of the Bible says he's coming and his reward is with him. And I just wonder what difference that makes in your life or mine. Many of the parables that Jesus told about this should be, uh, I think, more front and center in our thinking. And I'd like to just ponder three verses of one of those parables. If you'd take your Bibles and turn your uh, text and attention to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. I'll just get the beginning of this parable as he makes a very interesting statement here, particularly if you have your grandpa's Bible. <laughs> Our Bibles say, uh, stay dressed for action. Did you find that there? Luke chapter 12, verse 35. But you might even find a footnote in your current translation of the text of the New Testament, and it'll say something like, uh, you need to keep your, uh, your loins girded up, uh, which sounds obscene in, in some way to me. But uh, the reality of us being dressed for action has something to do with the ancient biblical dress of taking our robes and tucking them up into our belt, which if you know your Old Testament, it's a pretty familiar image of those in the Exodus in Exodus chapter 12 that were supposed to eat the Passover meal in haste. They're supposed to stand up. They can't sit down and they're supposed to turn their robes into running shorts and make sure they're ready to flee Egypt. And he says, that's how you ought to think about the reality of this life. You ought to keep your lamps burning and you ought to be like men, verse 36, who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He says, truly, I say to you, bottom of verse 37, he will dress himself for service, which is quite a turn of events, and he will have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them, which is a strange image of the master coming back from a wedding feast, which by the way, could take anywhere from two days in the ancient world, even in the intertestamental period, the book of Tobit, chapter eight talks about a wedding feast that can last as long as 14 days. So the master goes away, this is, you know, wedding receptions without cell phones, and you don't know when the rich master is coming back to his house, and you'd better be ready for his return. He's got an entourage, he's got camels, he's got uh, feet to wash, there's animals to feed, there's places that need to be arranged so that you can bring the master in and serve him. And the strange thing in this passage is if you're ready and prepared for him to come, he's going to uh, gird himself to serve and serve the servants. Uh, which ought to get us excited to think through what the reality of the return of Christ is going to be for you and for me. Four things that the doctrine of the return of Christ should do for you, and I just want to real quickly put these in your minds. Let's just think this through. If you're thinking about the return of Christ, you're going to be prepared. I put it this way, it's going to question my preparation. The whole parable is about that. Are you ready for his return? And I think it is uh, important for us to ask not only our friends and coworkers that question, but it'd be good for us to ask pastors and leaders and religious leaders and religious broadcasters. Hey, are you sure that you're ready? I hate to mix metaphors here, but the way it's put in scripture, in Jesus's parables, and also in the book of Galatians, you better be dressed properly 
when Jesus returns. You ought to be, as it says in Galatians 3, clothed in Christ. Remember that parable Jesus told about coming into the reception and looking at the people that were there and, and he sees someone that's not dressed properly and he kicks them out of the reception? I mean, that's a great picture of the reality of whether or not we know that we know, that we're sure that we are qualified to inherit this great reception and the service of Christ and the blessings that come with meeting our Savior face to face. Are, are you sure that you're ready? Are you sure that you're sure? And I think in a setting like this, we are not often questioned. I know in the circles I run in when I talk with pastors and leaders or Christian broadcasters, we, we kind of think, well, of course, that's assumed we know. But you do remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And you remember his list, right? We did all kinds of things. Right? We did mighty works. I mean, we, we, we cast out demons. We did all of these things, and you should look at our resume and know, of course, we're your children. And he'll say, it's really one of the most frightening passages in all of the Bible, isn't it? Um, Depart from me. Not I used to know you, but I, I never knew you. If I said to you that uh, tonight at 11 p.m. Jesus is going to come back, as it says in Scripture, and every eye will see him, and at that particular point, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound, and all of this will be done. That Jesus is going to come, and he's going to separate people like a, a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Are you, are you really sure that you're sure that you're trusting in the right things? D. James Kennedy put it well, right? What are you trusting in? If he says to you, why are you on my team? Why should I let you into my heaven? That's just a great diagnostic question. I mean, I know if I ask my non-Christian neighbors, hey, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? I mean, what? We still got about 80% of our country that believes in God. And uh, you got a lot of people, 60, 70% that still believe that there's a heaven and a hell. But even if people are believing up to 60 plus percent that there is a hell, when I ask them, do you think you're going there? I mean, I found 100% of the people say, no, I'm not going. And if I ask them, well, why is it that God is going to open up the gates for you and he's going to receive you and you're not going to be a goat, you're going to be part of his flock, uh, you know what the answer is, right? Well, I'm a pretty good person, right? I'm a good person. And if you think about the reality of the sliding scale of how most people view themselves, of course, they're looking at their newsfeed and saying, well, I'm not like that, right? I, I, I know I'm not bad. I'm not a bad person. And you do know the gospel, right? A lot of people that claim to have a message to share with you that has some God frame on it. But the reality is, what are you trusting in? I mean, if you really want to test whether you believe in the gospel of grace, look at the thief on the cross, Matter of fact, tell a story to a neighbor or a coworker and say, uh, I know a prisoner who was the worst of the worst on death row, and just before he was executed, he put his trust in Christ. And he's fully qualified, just like the thief on the cross when Jesus says, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's being crucified as an insurrectionist, as a murderer, as a thief. And, and here is Jesus saying, uh, fully qualified. Right? No spiritual car wash, no purgatory. I mean, you're going straight in. And you tell your friends, you tell your neighbors, or you look in the mirror and tell yourself that the truth of the gospel is that you are completely and fully qualified to be in God's 
family, to be in his heaven, to be on his team, simply because of a transfer of your trust to the finished work of Christ. That's a gospel that will offend. I mean, most people want their salvation the old-fashioned way, right? They'd like to earn it. They'd like to have some say in it. They'd like to have something they contribute to it. And of course, the gospel is you don't contribute anything to your salvation except your own sin. And it's important for us to say, well, that's the gospel I believe in. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel where Jesus does everything and I trust in what he's done. And that no matter what my resume is, I exchange my righteousness for his righteousness. My sin goes on his cross. His righteous life is imputed to me. And that transaction takes place in an instant. And I know there's a lot of people that will say on that day, because Jesus said many will say on that day, did we not? And they'll pull out their resume. Look at what I did. Richard Baxter, do you know that name, the old Puritan? wrote a book to pastors, and I just love the fact that he gets right in the beginning of the book talking about, are you sure you're even a Christian? And that's just pretty bold, isn't it? Say, hey, pastors, you're there preaching, you need a book on, on pastoral ministry. Well, let's just start with this. You, you preachers, are you, even, are you even saved? If you knew that at 11 o'clock tonight, Christ is coming back, I, I, I think you'd wanna make sure that you got the gospel straight, that you're not trusting in Christ plus your good works that you really believe the gospel of grace, that we haven't merged our own merits with Christ's finished work. You'd, you'd wanna say, I, I know that I know that I'm going because uh, I put my trust fully in Christ. Faith is not believing the facts about the, the reality of a coming of Jesus 2000 years ago. It's about the transfer of my trust to him. And so I don't apologize any more than Paul should apologize to Timothy by really implying in his letters to Timothy, you ought to make sure you're saved. You gotta make sure that your life and your doctrine are reflecting the truth of the gospel. And it all starts with understanding what it means to be forgiven because of what Christ has done. So if Christ is coming back and you think about it, that palpable expectation that Christ at any moment could come and you'll never be in, your body will never be in a casket. They'll never have a funeral for you. You will be transported and you will meet Christ in the air. If that's a reality, I think you need to say, am I, am I ready? Am I dressed for action? Am I ready to leave? Which by the way, it's not just, I wanna make sure that I'm going because the blood has been applied to the doorpost and I know I'm forgiven to think back to Exodus 12, but I'm ready to leave this place. I don't have time for this, that rarely stops me, but 1 Corinthians chapter seven says that you ought to, if you are participating in the things of the world, act as though you're really not participating in the things of the world because I'm holding everything in this life loosely. I'm ready to leave Egypt. And I know you can be ready to leave Egypt because you can look at the headlines and say, it's not a great place to live anymore. And it's not my grandfather's America. And I just, I'm ready to get off the world, right? Stop the world, I'd like to get off. But you need to say, I'm holding loosely to the world even when you're having great times with your family, even if your health is good, if your marriage is thriving, if your ministry is scoring points, you just gotta say, I know that everything in this world is gonna fade away in an instant. I gotta be ready to leave Egypt. I've gotta be ready to meet the Lord. And Jesus said, if you don't have that expectation, then we've missed the whole concept of Jesus saying you need to be ready. He could come as this passage goes on to say, if you got your Bibles open in verse 38, could be the second watch, could be the third watch, but you better be awake and you better be ready. And then he gives the illustration of a thief. I don't know if you've ever had your car broken into or your house broken into. I've had my car broken into three times. I should park in a different place, I suppose. But verse 39, 
He says, know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you don't expect. How can I be ready for something that I don't know when it's going to happen? The only way I can be ready for something that I don't know when it's going to happen is to expect it to happen at any time. And I just think that's a conviction for me. The, the reason I'm preaching this passage is I think that I need it. I looked in my life and I said, what do I as a Christian broadcaster, what do I need? I need to see the urgency of the return of Christ. And the first thing I should do is look in the mirror and say, is Mike Fabares going? Am I sure that I'm sure that I'm clothed in Christ? And am I ready to leave this world and enter into something much better knowing that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Well, that's the heavy part of the message, but important for us to catch. The next line here is you gotta keep your lamps burning. That's the last thing I do before I leave my office every day. I turn the lights off in the office. Going to go chill. It's my time now. This image, it's not a pleasant one, but uh, it's important. You got to keep your lamps burning. See, if you have the doctrine of the return of Christ clearly in your mind, you will not only question your own preparedness, which I hope leads to assurance that you know you're prepared, but secondly, it should sort out your priorities. And, and you ought to be able to say, well, I know what's important. What's important is that I've got to be ready to meet Christ, which of course this whole parable is about, I need to be doing what's of interest to him. I need to be expending my life on his priorities. I need to be proclaiming his message, which by the way, is the concept of the lamp of Christ. Think about the things that the Bible says about light. There's, here's two lamps you ought to have lit. And if you're with me on this, uh, turn, turn to Ephesians chapter five real quick. Here, here are the two aspects of the kinds of, of, of light that we need to be shining. And, and it sorts my priorities from my agenda to Christ's agenda. Look at verse eight of Ephesians chapter five. Here's the imagery of light and darkness. So you're at one time darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Right? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So I know this, that if I'm going to be ready for the return of Christ, I'm thinking what's important to Christ and what should I be doing with my life this week? What should I be doing with my life this month? Well, the first thing, the light that he wants me to shine, like he said on the Sermon on the Mount, is that I'm letting my light shine before men so they can see my good deeds. And good deeds aren't defined by what I want to do or what I think I should be doing, but what does God want me to be doing? What would Christ have me do? When I think about ministry, the ministries I'm involved in, I, I want to say, what's the agenda for these ministries? What's the priority? What's the, what, is the, what are the kinds of things I ought to be promoting every single day in these ministries? Well, ought to be the things that I see on Christ's agenda sheet. And I know one thing that rises to the top, and it's the next thing in the middle of verse 11. If you still have Ephesians 5 open, it says, instead, you are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. For it's even shameful you to speak of these things that they're doing in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and here's the quotation of that Isaiah 51 concept, awake, O sleeper, 
and arise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. So I got two lamps out I always keep burning in my mind if I'm thinking about Christ's return. I want him to see my life reflecting his good deeds. And secondly, I would like to be shining his truth on people saying, you need to know Christ. And I was just talking just a minute ago with someone leading a big ministry, and we talked about the importance of the urgency of seeing souls saved, because when the door of the ark shuts, you can't get on it. And, and, and when Christ returns, the, the buzzer goes off. And I don't know what your eschatology is, but no matter what it is, I think we've got a case to be built on the fact that if you've been exposed to the gospel and rejected Christ in this age, when Christ returns, the delusion sets in, no matter what your eschatology is, and, and you have missed the boat, right? They will be deceived because they've rejected the truth. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts about what opportunities there are once Christ returns to get his church. But I'm just saying you need to realize that there ought to be an urgency about us shining Christ on people. And how pleasant is this image? Do you want to take a flashlight and wake people up at night? That doesn't sound like a job I want, but that's the job I've been assigned to let Christ shine on people. And I need to keep that lamp burning. And I'm just wondering, who have you been working on in your ministry, in your personal life, to say you need to come to faith in Christ? I just love that line from Acts 17 that Paul said, God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. How does he do it? And he doesn't do it in some weird you know, way. Birds don't spell out the word repent in the sky. Right? He's using your mouth and my mouth and my microphone and your microphone and your podcast and your ministry to call people to repentance. And we avoid that so often because it's easier for me to say things like whispering in your ear when you're a little sleepy, but we're supposed to shine Christ on people. I'm not, I don't want to be necessarily and purposefully offensive, but I've got to tell people to repent. And repentance means you're going the wrong way. You need to embrace Christ. You need to turn from sin to God in repentance and put your trust in the finished work of Christ. And I'll tell you what, there's no one, I think, that is ever going to regret being busy about the work of calling people to repentance when Christ shows up. You're listening to Focal Point and a message titled, He'll Be Back. Pastor Mike delivered this message at the world's largest gathering of Christian communicators called NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And it's a powerful reminder for all of us. If you want to go back and listen again, it's available now at focalpointradio.org. Here at Focal Point, we'll never tell you what you want to hear. We'll tell you what you need to hear, the unfiltered truth of Scripture. And for 25 years, Pastor Mike has been a steady voice amidst this unsteady culture. Whether it's politics, war, economics, social issues, cancel culture, or theological erosion, Focal Point faithfully broadcasts the truth of Scripture with the help of listeners like you who support this program. Over the years, we've shared God's message on the radio, web, social media, podcasts, and video. And we're excited to keep growing and going. This month, we're asking our listeners and ministry partners to give above and beyond their normal giving to help reach more people with the truth that changes hearts and minds. Just as you've relied on us over the last 25 years, now we're relying on you 
to help us carry the message of Christ until the Lord returns. To make a generous year-end donation, go to focalpointradio.org or call us at 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. And when you give, we'll send you the ultimate infographic guide to the Bible as our way of saying thanks for your support. It's an excellent resource and a helpful guidebook that Pastor Mike has recommended for our listeners. Whether you're reading God's Word for the first time or the 40th, this guide to the Bible will give you fresh new insights into God's Word. Request your copy when you make your generous year-end gift to Focal Point at focalpointradio.org or when you call 888-320-5885. Again, that's 888-320-5885. So here's a big question. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Well, tomorrow on Focal Point, Pastor Mike is sharing four things you need to know in order to be prepared for the second coming. I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Tuesday for Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.